This is Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine, and I'm John Wiener. Now it's time to talk about the royal family and the crown. You know, Queen Elizabeth and Charles and Diana and the Netflix series about them. For that, we turn to Gary Young. He's professor of sociology at the University of Manchester, former columnist for The Guardian, member of The Nation, editorial board, and a type media fellow. We reached him today at home in London. Gary, welcome back. Thanks, John. You are a British citizen, is that correct? That is very true, yes. So we need to start with the most basic of all British questions. Where were you when Princess Diana died? That's a very, that's a very good question. I was, uh, I was in Barbados, which is where my parents are from, on holiday. I was staying with my uncle, and he woke me up to tell me the news. We, we watched the news for a little bit, went back to bed. Then I went out for a walk later, and I bumped into some Brits. And I said, you know, have you heard the news? And this woman said, I know. I feel really terrible just being out on holiday, enjoying myself. And I thought this was really odd. And I said to her, I'm sure if you died, Lady Di would have no problem being on holiday and going out and enjoying herself. I mean, enjoy your holiday. And she looked at me with a kind of contempt and outrage. And I thought, oh, wow, I really kind of got that wrong, you know. And uh, I wasn't trying to be funny. And it was a a realization, I I don't get this. This is going to be something more, something other. And then when I occasionally would kind of pass a TV screen or check in with her, I could see over the week, well, that this was a moment of national hysteria maybe even international hysteria, and that I should keep my mouth shut. How would you describe your engagement with the royal family? Would you call it just a lack of interest? No, it's a very kind of, um, I mean, politically, I'm very clear, it's, it's an awful institution that isn't just benign, because what it does is it puts who your parents are at the top of the British system, the head of state, which is the epitome of class privilege and deeply problematic. And that's before you get to the whole thing about empire and colonialism and what the Brits did in the name of the crown. So on a political level, it's not even a a question for me. On a human engagement level, I really don't care. When the Queen died, I just didn't watch the news for 10 days. I've got nothing against her as a person. I didn't know her as a person. And that's why it didn't really interest me. Her death didn't particularly interest me any more than somebody else who died that I didn't know. When it comes to matters royal, I take the effort not to care. Okay, you don't care about the royal family. You loathe the institution of the monarchy. How did you feel about the Netflix series, The Crown? I loved it. Awesome. (laughs) I didn't really like the last season I found particularly weak, but the first four, I think, I really enjoyed. They acknowledge colonialism as being a significant part of Britain's recent history. Now, that may seem like a no-brainer to an American, but Britons have a peculiar way because particularly because colonialism almost by definition happened elsewhere of not knowing where they were or what they did 
So let's talk a little bit just about the facts of Empire during the decades covered by the Netflix series. I learned from your piece in The Nation that in 1955, Winston Churchill suggested to his cabinet that the Conservative Party should run on the slogan, Keep England White. Let's talk yeah. about that. Yeah, you're going to love him for that. <laughs> so what had happened by 1955 was the empire was striking back. The empire was coming to the mother country. Uh, I mean, my parents didn't come till 62. In the same way that if you are uh, born in Hawaii or the Marianas Islands or whatever, you can have American citizenship or Puerto Rico. If you were born, my parents came to Britain on a British passport. And Churchill thought that there was mileage in opposing these non-white immigrants in, in the 50s. So that gives you a sense of where Britain was racially at that time. But these were all British citizens. So would you call the Netflix show a critique of empire? No, no, it doesn't. It just shows that it had, I mean, the bar is very low. Just to depict it and to give a sense of the power dynamics and how they played out it is enough when you're used to it just not being dealt with at all. Let's talk, for example, about the young queen's trip to Kenya in the early 50s. Right. So she goes to Kenya. She's still the princess then, I think. So dad dies while she's there. Yeah. She arrives. She gives this talk. The young queen or the young princess talks about, you know, Nairobi, the capital of Kenya, having been this savage place that was now civilized. They then walk the line of dignitaries, and there are some uh, indigenous African uh, dignitaries who Prince Philip insults. And then the local governor, I assume it's the local governor, says to her something to the effect of, look, we're really struggling to hold on here. The winds of change are blowing through this continent. So thank you for, for coming. And the, the whole scene of the, the, the welcoming band and the local dignitaries and the local kind of colonial people, notwithstanding ethnic dress, and that's all the ethnicities, including the Brits, it could have been the South mm-hmm. at the same time. Uh, it's segregated. The power relations are clear. There's perhaps a, a little bit more of a sense of benevolence and patronizing than you would have got in the South, but still that very parochial sense where the racial power lines are very clear. And then there's that fascinating episode about the royal tour of 1953, where Elizabeth and Philip travel to the Commonwealth countries. And Philip says, quote, 20 years ago, Britain had influence and control over one fifth of the world's population. Look where we are now in India, Pakistan, South Africa, Iraq, Jordan, Burma, Salon, all independent. And he says, we've been sent on the Commonwealth Roadshow, but it's like a rusty old banger where the rust has eaten away the engine. Quite a vivid image of what was actually happening. Yeah. And once again, it's a depiction, it's not a critique of this sense of decline, that it's all moving away from us. You know, when in the Brexit campaign, they talked about putting the great back into Great Britain. Yes. There is this really crippling sense of this kind of, you know, once great nation. And and it, and it really did happen relatively quickly. And Britain has failed to adjust. 
there was a great quote from um, it was a Danish foreign minister shortly after Brexit, and he said, "Europe is in, is divided into small countries, and those countries that have yet to realize that they are small." <laughs> and you know, of course, who was he talking about primarily? But Britain. And then there was one episode that a lot of people didn't really understand. That was the one about the Russian Revolution with these vivid scenes recreating the Bolsheviks murdering the family of the Tsar. What was the point of all that? I couldn't say for sure why they did that one. But what it did do was bring together a theme that was there right from the beginning, which is this sense of precarity. It starts with the abdication of Edward, who's the Queen's uncle, and this notion that being a member of the royal family is a choice, and he has chosen not to do it. Then you have Prince Philip, whose family were smuggled out of Greece. He says he was taken out in a crate full of oranges or something, not dignified, certainly, struggling for his life. And so throughout, there's this sense of urgency to be relevant to keep up, to televise the Queen's coronation, to find ways to modernise this prehistoric institution. So they don't end up like the Tsar's family. Like the Romanovs, yeah. I mean, they are surrounded by examples of of moments where it didn't go so well. And the (laughs) Romanovs, you know, they, they are able to establish the identity of two of the Romanovs thanks to Prince Philip's DNA. And so you have to imagine, just forget their royals for a moment, and just generational trauma that you have in your in your family, because the Romanovs were distant relations of the Queen as well, a range of cousins, second cousins, uncles, who've been killed, deposed, smuggled out, exiled, and that kind of um, and you're sitting on a you're sitting on a pile of gold, <laughs> and kind of everyone can see you on the top of this pile of gold, and lots of people want it. <laughs> so there's a real there's a there's there is this real um, terror would be too strong a word anxiety a sense of fragility yes yeah. and anxiety fragility and anxiety of the institution. Mm. So one of the main themes of the whole five years is, is that it's it's no fun being a royal. They are not happy. You think you'd like to be a prince or a princess? You should no. be glad you're not because <laughs> their lives are miserable. Mm. This was, for me, one of the main enjoyable, really, engaging aspects of this series, which was this struggle between the structural and the personal. The personal, let's say we take the queen's sister wants to marry a man who's been divorced and she can't. And the queen says, you know, as as your sister, I want you to marry him. As your queen, I forbid it. When Philip says, well, do I have to kneel in front of you at the coronation, which he considers demeaning. And she says, I'm not asking as your wife, I'm commanding you as your monarch. There's a moment where a village in Wales is crushed by a landslide and all of the children uh, in the school, particularly one class, are all killed. And the Prime Minister, Harold Wilson, is beseeching her to go up. And the Queen's like, I don't want to go up there. Like, there's no point in me going up there. I'm not going to help. And he's basically saying, people need to see that you care. And she's not saying she doesn't care. She's just saying, I can't perform caring. Mm. 
she talks about coming back and having dabbed a dry eye, you know, <laughs> and, you know, she kind of got away with it. And actually, that was precisely the problem that she had with Lady Diana, where it's like, I'm sorry, but you're a national symbol and we want you out here blubbing your eyes out and being really sad. And um, to, unless we see you being really sad, we're going to turn on you because your job is not to be yourself but to represent a nation and its mood. That's the element of The Crown that I really love, which is why I found the last season more disappointing or just less interesting, because Charles really isn't grappling with any of that stuff. He's like, I want my mistress, I want my wife, I want to be king. And anybody who thinks that I shouldn't be having all of those three things at once is just being unfair. So he's <laughs> like a big big baby really and um, that's not so interesting to watch season five you will recall premiered just two months after elizabeth died and charles mm -hmm. became king that 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 season seemed eager to make charles look good there was that scene of him break dancing during his visit to an event i i learned was called youth meets industry where 300 unemployed young people were organized by a charity called the Prince's Trust. How did you like that episode? Well, you know, I do remember that. I remember that. And I remember him being kind of keen in a kind of daddy in a paddling pool kind of way to want to identify with the country that was changing somehow. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't particularly interested because I go back to my original point. You're a tough, you're the prince, <laughs> like, you know, America, Russia, France all had the right idea. But I do remember it being more interesting than the horse riding and the polo stuff. <laughs> yes. You know, I remember my mum liked him because he liked the three degrees and he invited <laughs> them to a gala performance and this is a time where you didn't see many black people on television and the, these are the scraps that people eat from the table really <laughs> so but the truth was for all of that they did show him to be a kind of venal man baby uh, after the queen died two former prime ministers condemned the series john major and tony blair one Tory, one Labour leader, and Judy Dench, the legendary actor, wrote a letter to the London Times describing the series as, quote, an inaccurate and hurtful account of history. She demanded that Netflix add a disclaimer to the last season, quote, for the sake of the family and a nation so recently bereaved, close quote. I wonder if you have any comment. I mean, how crazy. I mean, it was not a documentary. I felt fairly clear that there were there were elements that you knew were real. The landslide in Aberfan that I just talked about, the strikes, the Falklands War. There was stuff that was real. Even if you hadn't heard of them, you could kind of spend quite a lot of time on Wikipedia after some of them thinking, did that really happen? <laughs> and then there was stuff that you knew was drama the conversations that they had and the kind of personal interactions and so on. And you thought, well, it's a drama. It's a drama based on people who actually exist, but it's a drama. And then there was, there were a few things that could have gone either way, but I didn't really care. I mean, I don't watch Netflix for my history. You know, there are books for that, but it had landed at this particular moment 
when reverence was off the charts. And, and you know, some of Charles's life has been kind of quite embarrassing, some of the stuff that he did that was brought up again. So, yeah, the kind of elements of the ruling class kind of whipped into line to make out like, you know, this was a Seymour Hirsch article that had, you know, trashed a military operation or something. It was, it was really quite odd. Gary Young, his piece on the British royal family has the wonderful title, Heavy is the Head, The Strange Thrills of the Crown. You can read it at thenation.com. Thank you, Gary. Thanks, John. You've been listening to Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine. You can hear more interviews like this one at thenation.com, and you can subscribe to Start Making Sense at iTunes Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Wiener. Thanks for listening. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.